Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Bezos bows out, the Amazon CEO to focus on space, climate, and the Washington Post. Reddit rally receding, GameStop shares slump as regulatory risk rise. And going for gold, Tokyo's action plan for this year's Olympics. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move and lots going on this Wednesday. A blowout and a bow out at Amazon, the burnout of the GameStop trade and a vigorous vaccine rollout in West Virginia. Governor Jim Justice will join us later to explain just how they're managing it. But today is all about Amazon's surprise Jexit. That's what I'll call it. Jeff Bezos stepping down as CEO, moving to the executive chairman role later this year, stealing the spotlight from Amazon's first $100 billion sales quarter, an epic quarter and an epic year for Amazon and the team. Andy Jassy, the boss of the cloud business, will be the new CEO. And that tells you where perhaps they see the growth opportunities lying for the company. Remember, Alphabet is also fighting for space in the cloud. And oh boy, is it an expensive fight for these guys. They lost more than $5 billion in that part of the business in 2020. Thank goodness for Google's advertising business, which powered ahead once again. Tech stocks overall, though, will help the majors add to their recent gains. There's a sense of calm, I think, being restored too, as speculative shares like GameStop and AMC continue to lose ground pre-market. GameStop losing some 60% of its value. AMC down more than 40%. Wow, look at that chart. What's fascinating too about the past week and the criticism that brokers like Robinhood have faced is that new numbers show the app got more than 2 million new US downloads last week alone. We don't know what the net number is, but those new ads say something. How does that old saying go? There's no such thing as bad publicity. Reminds me a little bit of delete Facebook when no one did is the global picture for stocks. Italy outperforming on news of Mario's moment. The former ECB president, Mario Draghi, has agreed to lead a new technocrat-led government if, of course, he can pull parties together. Meanwhile, over in China, shares there pulling back after weak services sector data, the weakest since last spring. So perhaps a bit of a warning there too. All right, let's get to the drivers and the Bezos bombshell. Jeff Bezos stepping down as Amazon CEO later this year, becoming executive chairman. In a letter to staff, Bezos says he plans to focus on new products and early initiatives. And this, not this, but this, yes, him, who is the man who will succeed him as CEO, Andy Jassy, currently head of Amazon's cloud business. Christine Romans joins us now with more. Bye-bye, Bezos. There's so many puns I can get in here, and I'll continue to do it. I mean, he's still going to be involved in the business, I think, let's be clear. But that bombshell announcement overshadowing what was an epic, epic quarter for Amazon. 
and a great year, an epic quarter and a great year. I mean, this company, a $1.7 trillion company, Bezos, the stock up, what, almost 70% over the past year, making Bezos richer by the day. I mean, the guy gets richer as he sleeps. And uh, he's going to focus. He says it's not retirement. In that letter to employees, he said this is not retirement. He's going to focus his energies on his newspaper, on Blue Origin, his space flight um, uh, outfit, and also on climate and education initiatives that are important to him. Uh, and when you look at who he picked as his successor, I think you're so right to point out how telling that is. This is somebody who's been by his side uh, since at least, I think, 1997. I mean, these two men are inventors who not only invent new ways to do business, but also have created a culture at Amazon. And and Andy Jassy right in there can, uh, you know, almost exactly like Jeff Bezos in in terms of the corporate culture there that they want. So he will be the executive chair. Uh, Reminds me a little bit of Bob Iger stepping away from Disney. It seemed like it was really at the top as well, you know, and such a kind of a such a big name intertwined with the company. Um, But Jeff Bezos will be executive chair, leaving the day to day running of the company to his uh, lieutenant here. You know, it's in that letter as well to uh, his employees. He said when he started Amazon in a rented garage in Washington, it didn't even have a name yet. And they were selling online books. And uh, the biggest question he got from people was, what's the Internet? Imagine how, you know, the foresight of him to be able to create this business uh, along with the birth of the Internet and make it so big and make so much money. That leapt out to me, too. What a journey. And and what a a beautiful moment, actually. And I couldn't agree more. He's still going to be around. He's just not going to deal with the day to day. So he's got the luxury, in a way, of overseeing everything and being able to play without being patronizing at the things that really he's passionate about, like space. Blue Origin, we know, is something that that he's incredibly passionate about. It also comes at a time where Amazon and these other big tech companies are going to come under increasing scrutiny. And he doesn't have to be the guy now in the hot seat who is the CEO that gets, you know, dragged to Congress to explain things that are going on. There's sort of a beauty in that, too, I think, of timing, he came to Capitol Hill last summer, remember, and there was a House subcommittee on uh, antitrust that he had to appear before, and they wrote a, a pretty scathing kind of report on their allegations of anti-competitive behavior. The company said it does not engage in anti-competitive behavior, and it welcomes the scrutiny because it is a, a big company, and scrutiny is, is, always, is always good. But you're right. He steps back at a time when um, we do see these big tech companies and the scrutiny of those tech companies heightened, not only in the United States, but even before that in the EU. Yes, this is a moment where he's like, Andy, please take the seat with, uh, with pleasure. We will discuss this further on in the show. Christine, great to have you with us as always. And we missed you on Monday. I believe it was your birthday. It was my birthday. And then there was a yeah. snowstorm. So I, I had a nice long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday for Monday. Thank you. Thank you. All right. From Amazon highs to GameStop lows, pre-market trading is higher, but a way away from its January peak of nearly $490. Wow, look at us. We're at 93 now. It comes as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen plans to meet with regulators following the Reddit retail investor frenzy. Paula Monica joins me. Paul, we talked about gravity being applied at some point, and that's serious gravity, near $490 down to $93. And hey, we might not be uh, at the bottom yet. No surprise that Janet Yellen is perhaps pulling together regulators here. The Treasury as well, and just to understand perhaps what needs to be done, if anything. Yeah, that's a great point, Julia. Uh, One, we need to note that uh, GameStop stock is actually up uh, about 20% or so at last check 
in pre-market back near, uh, you know, 115, 120. So this train, uh, this volatile uh, roller coaster ride, uh, runaway train, if you will, it's not ending anytime soon. But with regards to Janet Yellen, I think it's going to be important in this Reddit Robin Hood world we live in now for the SEC, for the Fed, for Treasury, for other financial regulators to figure out how to what are the new rules? What's the new playbook? for stocks like this. And one thing that's going to be tough maybe for Janet Yellen is she has already disclosed that she has received $810,000 in speaking fees from Citadel from 2019 to 2020. And we all know that Citadel is a big player in this saga because they both are the order flow execution engine for Robinhood and also have helped bail out Melvin Capital, one of the big hedge funds that got crushed by the short squeeze. So Yellen may have to not necessarily recuse herself, but she's already seeking permission to have these talks in light of the fact that there is a potential financial conflict of interest here. Yes. Uh, Citadel Securities, of course, as you pointed out, the market maker versus the hedge fund, two separate businesses called the same thing, which has been very confusing for everybody. All the criticism of Robin Hood, Paul, and yet I mentioned at the top of the show this fact that the latest data shows that they got two million new subscribers, according to the last data. Now, we don't know whether it's net. We don't know how many they lost through all the criticism as well, if any. But it did remind me of the delete Facebook trend where people were saying, you know, delete Facebook. And actually, all they did was ever add users. Yeah, it's a, a very good point there. I think that Robinhood will remain one of the powerhouses. But there are a lot of other online brokers both pure play, digital first companies, as well as the big powerhouses that are now getting even bigger because you have E-Trade owned by Morgan Stanley, you have TD Ameritrade, part of Schwab. It's going to be tough uh, for Robinhood. They, their, their only business is what they're doing with uh, you know the brokerage for the most part. I mean, all the delete Facebook uh, talk, a lot of people forgot that they may have been deleting Facebook, but they weren't doing so with Instagram and WhatsApp, which are also owned by Facebook. Yeah, yeah. this is by no means over. And coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking to uh, the founder of a firm called Thinknum that collects data now on Reddit to perhaps give to these hedge funds so that they can assess what's coming next. It's a fascinating thing. Formula Monica, thank you so much for your insights there. All right, on to some Olympic efforts. Organisers of the Tokyo Olympics have released new safety guidelines for the rescheduled Games due to be held in July and August of this year. Questions remain about Japan's ability to host the Games. And today, the government extended COVID-19 emergency measures until March. Selena Wang joins us now. Selena, so what's in this blueprint? What did they tell us about what these Olympic Games might look like? Well, Julia, this is just one of several playbooks on how to hold the games in the middle of a pandemic. But it's really unclear if this does much to quell those doubts about Japan's ability to hold these games. What we did learn is that participants are not required to get vaccinated, though it is recommended. They're going to instead rely on other rules like wearing a mask as much as possible, social distancing. And this interesting rule, which is to support athletes by clapping, not singing or chanting. Athletes and officials who arrive 
arrive are going to have to download a government contact tracing app and be tested before and after arrival. They will not need to quarantine for 14 days, but they do need to submit a detailed plan of their activities for those first two weeks. Now, we still are missing critical information. For instance, how many fans can come? Can any international fans come? Officials say that this decision will be made by the springtime. And there was this really notable moment in the press conference when Olympic officials were asked how they're going to convince the Japanese public that these games are safe if you have thousands of people coming from abroad who are not required to get vaccinated and are not going to fully isolate themselves. They did not give a straightforward answer. They did not give a straightforward one. They said that, well, there's going to be a lot of testing. And on top of that, they're going to update this playbook as the pandemic develops. Julia? Yeah, fingers crossed they can manage this. But I have to say the headline from the UK's Guardian newspaper said it all. It said Tokyo Olympics definitely going ahead unless cancelled again. Hmm. Selena Wang, thank you for that update there. All right. Let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. The Kremlin is defending what it calls harsh action by riot police to disperse protesters demanding the release of Alexei Navalny. Vladimir Putin's most outspoken critic was sentenced to prison for violating his parole while recovering from nerve gas poisoning. A monitoring group says more than 1,400 protesters were detained Tuesday. Frederick Pikin is live in Moscow. Fred, and I was watching you yesterday when that verdict came through. A lot of fury from his supporters. Just talk us through what we've seen in the ensuing yeah. hours. Hmm. Well, you're absolutely right, Julia. There certainly was a lot of fury after that uh, verdict came in that he was going to have to spend more than 2.5 years or two and a half years uh, in prison. And essentially what happened was that Alexei Navalny's supporters said uh, that people should march to the Kremlin, but certainly the Russian authorities very much were ready for that. There was a suffocating police presence on the street. And I was... I was on the streets around the Kremlin until well after midnight, until I think two or three in the morning uh, yesterday. And there were just scores of riot cops everywhere. They surrounded the Kremlin. They went into a lot of the side streets and they just detained people uh, en masse. We could see that for several hours. We ourselves saw dozens of detentions take place. And the Kremlin uh, today, we um, run a conference call with them, with Dmitry Peskov, the spokesman for the Kremlin. And he said absolutely that the Kremlin believes that the actions were justified, seemingly not giving an saying that all of these gatherings uh, that were taking place in Moscow uh, were illegal and that therefore uh, a tough response by the authorities was necessary. It came, of course, after that remarkable uh, trial in Moscow where uh, Alexei Navalny ripped into the Russian president Vladimir Putin saying he would be remembered as Putin the poisoner. Of course, we always have to point out that's an extremely dangerous thing to say in a public sitting here in Russia. And then, of course, uh, he will most probably have to spend the next more than two and a half years behind bars, even though we spoke to his legal team and they said they were going to try and appeal. It certainly seems as though these problems are not going to go away uh, anytime soon. Certainly the Kremlin very much signaling that they are not going to give an inch. It's quite interesting, Julia, because we've been talking about the past that uh, the Kremlin, especially Vladimir Putin, has never even or never really names Alexei Navalny by name. They've now reverted to calling him, quote, the convict. And one of the things that Dmitry Peskov said on that call today, he said, the convict does not decide how Vladimir Putin will be remembered in history. Julia? What did he call Putin? Putin the poisoner. The convict versus Putin the poisoner. Yeah. Fred Plagin mm. in Moscow. Thank you so much for that. Myanmar's deposed leader will remain in custody for two more weeks, according to her party's spokesman. Odsang Su Kai was arrested on Monday as the military staged a coup. She's been charged with an obscure offence, illegally importing and possessing walkie-talkies. 
All right, so to come here on First Move, vaccine victory in West Virginia. The state has been a model for a fast, effective rollout. We're joined by the governor to find out how and spotting the next GameStop. One company says it has the data to predict the next Reddit rally. We've got the CEO of Thinknum coming up on the show. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are still on track for a mostly higher open this morning. The Nasdaq about to test record levels once again. Just released numbers show the U.S. jobs market coming into 2021 with surprising strength. 174,000 private sector jobs were added to the U.S. economy last month, trouncing expectations. That's great news. It's going to be interesting to see how this might affect the stimulus or financial aid debate in Washington, D.C. The bottom line is jobless Americans still need help and successful vaccine rollouts are also key to our recovery. Leading the way on that front is West Virginia. More than 9% of its population has now received at least one vaccine dose, well ahead of the U.S. average of 6%. The state's also making the most of the doses it's received. 94% of available doses have been administered as of this morning. And joining us now is Jim Justice. He's the governor of West Virginia. Governor Justice, thank you for joining us on the show. Great to have you with us. You're regularly topping the charts for vaccine distribution. Just explain how you're managing this, please, in your state. Well, Julia, thank you so much for having me. And uh, this is this, you know, I'm not a politician. You know, I really don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or independent. I've never cared. But at the end of the day, you know, when it really boils right down to it, being a businessman throughout my life, you know, you, you see a lot of people that try to do things, but they make it a lot harder than it really is. In this situation, you know, the easiest, the easy stuff is always the toughest stuff to find. You know, but if you'll just step back and think about just this. While people all across our land were trying to develop a system, develop, you know, models or whatever it may be, we have people dying. I mean, it's just as simple as just that. And so what we did in West Virginia, we recruited everybody, an all-in type approach. Our local pharmacies, our local clinics, our local health departments, all of, all of our National Guard, we, we put our National Guard in the field at work. These people are unbelievable. And when it really boiled right down to it, we started putting shots in arms. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, but we're getting more shots out of the vials, naturally, as all across the land. But up to this date right now, on the shots that we've received, on the vaccines we've received, we've got 108.1% of the vaccines that we've received in somebody's arm right now. Hmm. It's phenomenal. I mean, you, I think you said it cleanly by cutting out the politics here and just treating this almost like a, a military operation. You opted out of the, the federal plan that was looking at um, tying, partnering Walgreens and CVS pharmacies with with care facilities. My understanding is you have around 20 percent of the population that are 65 and over. So simply getting your local pharmacies, tying them to care home facilities and saying, guys, match up, get these shots into arms, get these vaccines into arms, helped you with this progress. Well, all that's dead on, Julia. You know, when, when it really boils right down to it, you know, we're in an elderly state, the third oldest in the nation. We, we've got the most chronic illnesses in the nation. We've got populations that are, 
you know, sparse in different places, so it's hard to get to them. But you've got to make this to where the people that are used to where they are used to going to their local pharmacies or local health clinics, whatever it may be, you've got to go to the people. And 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 it we did make it a military type operation. We did not make it a standardized bureaucratic operation. And mm. and in doing so, we really reached out to the people, and we've been doing it for weeks. And uh, and we could do so much more if we could just get the vaccines. You know, there's there's still millions and millions of vaccines that are sitting on some shelf in some state somewhere, and and it's a shame because. Everybody needs to realize this is something that you've got to act within the hour. This is not something that a week or a month deal because you've got people dying right and left. And we know it's all about age, age, and age. And that's where, that's where this, this terrible pandemic hits. And we've, 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 you know, we've run to the fire with our acute care people and our teachers. And we've gotten all of our nursing homes, you know, from our residents and our staff, they've got their second shots now. We've done all of that, but we just need to keep doing a lot more. I mean, you were, you were vaccinating people and getting through uh, care homes before others had even started. Um, we were just showing a website here, and I want to point this out because the use of digital technology, I think, has been critical to what you've achieved in the state. Not only just the provision of data out there to understand cases, hospitalizations, but where you can go it's local to go and get a vaccine. You also have digital tools for people just to sign up and say, look, I'm interested in getting a vaccine. You know, give me a call when you have some available. Jim, this is part of how well organized you've been. Well, I, you know, I owe an awful lot of credit to our National Guard, our coronavirus czar, all the experts that work at this every day. But they know just this. I promise you they know this, that uh, I'll sit on them because I am absolutely all in about people dying. You know, we created, we created Operation Save Our Wisdom because we, that's what we're losing in this country more than anything. We're losing our wisdom. The people that absolutely have that wisdom to pass on are dying, and they're dying a terrible death. So, so you know, what we did in addition to this, we developed a, a system, you know, to where basically it, it notifies people either by text or email or call, and, and, you know, how they can get to where they can get to and everything. And it makes just for an ease of that because, to be perfectly honest, we don't want seniors and everybody standing out in the line and then run out of vaccines. That's not going to work because you're just going to make them sicker. So, so uh, the, the net of the whole thing is, you know, West Virginia has, has you know, led the way all the way through this. But, but West Virginia is a unique place. I mean, it's got great, great people and really smart people and the four most beautiful seasons on the planet. And I'm not an infomercial. I am telling you, we're within 600 miles of two-thirds of the population of the country with no ocean that is protecting us. And yet the numbers that we produce in this state, we've kept our deaths really low, the economics really good. And, you know, it is manageable if people just would remove the, the, the bureaucracy and remove the politics. It is absolutely manageable if you'll just get off your butt and do it. I was about to say that applies in many things beyond COVID, quite frankly. And to your point about sitting on people, I was looking at your bio and you're six foot seven. So when you say, I believe, and so when you say you're going to sit on someone, it means something. Um, Jim, Governor Justice, talk to me about 
sitting on people in Congress, because there are members and you are a Republican. I know you said it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, but that is the party that you represent. How do you feel and what's your message to them as we still continue to battle over getting more financial aid to the country? Well, Julia, if, if, if you'll just ask yourself just this question, you know, is it good how our Democrats and Republicans in Washington have interacted with one another? Have they done a good job? Have they really, truly, truly helped the people? Or is, a, is it a constant political food fight? I think it's despicable what goes on in Washington. I mean, to be perfectly honest, our stimulus package should have been passed months ago. Months ago. But absolutely, you know, Speaker Pelosi and President Trump, it was a constant food fight. And at the end of the day, even President Trump, you know, was for like a billion, 800, 800 I'm sorry, a trillion, 800 billion dollar uh, uh, stimulus package at one point in time. But we just mess around and mess around while people are really hurting. Now, the reality of this is just really simple. I am not an advocate of bailing out cities' pension plans and things like that, and I have not seen the, all the inner workings of the bill, but I will promise you one thing. You cannot restrict or cut your way out of this mess. Now is a time when our federal government needs to go big or not go at all, and that's exactly how I feel, because absolutely if we waste a little bit of dollars right now, but we're able to achieve, we continue to try to squeeze it down and squeeze it down and everything, and then we have to go back and we have to go back and we have to go back. I'd a whole lot rather get us through this and get to people that are out there that need to be able to pay their rent and their utility bills and everything else under the sun and get all those businesses that are struggling or going under and get them right side up and get us through this pandemic and get America back going. I mean, that's the main thing. I'm with you, sir. And that's the quote of the show, I think. You can't cut your way out of crisis. Governor Justice, fantastic to have you on the show. Congratulations with what you're doing in West Virginia. And I will come and visit. You did a good sell on okay. me. I'll come and visit after COVID. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You, you Stay better. well. You better come. <laughs> it's a promise. OK. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Bye. OK, the opening bell's next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and U.S. stocks are open for trading this Wednesday and mostly higher open with tech seeing the biggest gains around half a percent driven by strong Q4 results from Amazon and from Alphabet. The speculative rally, meanwhile, is down but not out. GameStop and AMC bouncing a little, as you can see in the session today, up 17 percent for GameStop. But just to be clear, this comes after huge losses on Tuesday, with GameStop falling around 66%. What about Silver, too, which had attracted the attention of the Reddit Army, too, in recent days, adding to recent gains, too, up some uh, just shy of 2.5% there. In the meantime, millions of Americans will be reminded of the Reddit revolution this weekend. Robin Hood, which is raising billions of dollars in emergency financing, has found a little extra cash to buy a Super Bowl ad Price tag, $5 million. No comment. 
All right, let's bring it back to our top story of the day, the Bezos bombshell. Jeff Bezos stepping down as the CEO of Amazon, the company he founded 27 years ago. Dan Ives, the Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities, joins us now. And he's been following the meteoric rise of Bezos and Amazon from the very beginning. Dan, you called it a stunner. Great to have you with us. Your thoughts this morning? Yeah, I mean, it's a stunner. You're talking about one of the tech titans that has really established not just the e-commerce, but cloud ecosystem that we live in today. And I think it's going to send a ripple effect across the tech space. And you look at Bezos' legacy, it's up there with Gates, Musk, Cook, Jobs, and others. I think now it's about Jazzy taking over on AWS, really focused on doubling down on cloud. But it's a historic day as Bezos exits stage left. I mean, huge achievement. We can't take it away. I mean, even the letter that he sent to his shareholders where he was just laying out to his his um, employees, just laying out what they've achieved over this time. And the fact that he's handing it over to someone like Andy Jassy, now the, the head of the cloud business, I think perhaps tells you where they see the most lucrative opportunities. Yeah, I mean, the accomplishments, we're talking historic, that, that, that will live on for you know centuries to come. And I think, but when it comes to cloud, that really shows direction where this company's going. Doubling down on AWS. Look at Microsoft, Google. It's an arms race in cloud. And that's why Jassy gets the nod here. A smart move. But ultimately now, as Bezos goes to the exec chairman position, the point is, does some bloom come off the rose? As you don't have the Bezos impact that's really helped propel Amazon to where it is. But Jazzy, I, I would expect a baton handed off pretty smoothly here. But no doubt the headline continues to be cloud front and center for Amazon. Of course, e-commerce, that continues to be bread and butter. Are you worried about that, about some of the bloom coming off? That's an interesting comment to make. Well, I think I've seen it for, for decades. I mean, when Gates left and Bomber right. took over, you know, you go back now. I think Cook and Jobs, that's unique in terms of just how successful Cook's been in terms of getting the baton handed at Apple. But anytime you fill shoes like this, that, that are historic type shoes to fill, it's a tough task. And I think especially when it comes down to what's happening in this cloud arms race, because of the crosstown rival with Redmond and everything that Dell is mm. doing with Microsoft, you're seeing share gains from Microsoft at a time that now Jazz will be running Amazon. An interesting time. But no doubt, I mean, this continues to really be a big focus for investors over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you say that, that, that Andy Jassy is the cloud titan here. But if there's anything to pick up on in these earnings, it's that starting to lose sort of market share to Microsoft, also a dramatically big player in, in the cloud space. You know, we, we actually managed to speak to Andy Jassy on the show back in December, and we talked about some of the other challenges that they're facing, heightened regulatory risk. Whether or not at some point in the future, given just the monster size of the AWS, the cloud business, whether they would spin it off. Just listen to what he had to say about these things. We talk a lot about in, internally at Amazon is that when when your company starts to get larger, like we have at Amazon, and you've had success in a few different business segments like we have, you're going to have to expect more scrutiny, and people are going to look at what you're doing. And so what we spend most of our time focused on is making sure we do right by customers, and then we, we, when we are uh, scrutinized and, um, and people look at what we're doing, that we're proud of what we do. And so that's what we spend our time doing. We're always focused on customers and then trying to do things the right way. 
And, you know, people ask us all the time whether we expect AWS to be spun off. And, you know, I don't. Uh, you know, I think that typically when companies choose to spin off uh, units, it's either because they want them off their financial statements or they can't fund the new business in the way they want. And neither of those have been the case um, for AWS. And I think also our customers would prefer us not to be spun mm. off just because I think instead of having us focused on earnings calls or building a separate financial systems or, or HR systems, they want us focused on making sure that they have a secure, operationally performant and, and highly capable infrastructure. And that's what they want to spend time doing. Try not to fix something that isn't broken and focus on customers first, quite frankly, and providing a service to them. That's the message. Yeah. Yeah, I hear it. This feels like a safe pair of hands, Dan. Yeah, I mean, he's the gold standard in terms yeah. of on cloud. But, but it comes down to stronger getting stronger in this COVID environment. That's more regulatory scrutiny, both in Europe and the US, that all FANG names, not just Amazon, but Apple, Facebook and others are going to have to you know, ultimately take more heat in the kitchen as we've seen just this meteoric success poster child for, you know, what's really a, a gold mine on the cloud. Yeah. And Facebook, last guy standing, of course, Mark Zuckerberg in charge of a company that, that he founded. These hearings are going to be quite fascinating, I think. Dan, great to have your insights to have Thank you with you. us this morning. Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities there. All right, coming up after the break, Wall Street watching Wall Street bets in a whole new way. The latest weapon to find the next GameStop is next. Welcome back to First Move. It may be hard for some to believe, but a chat board on Reddit is a key market mover right now. And aggregating that data for whatever purpose could be a laborious exercise, but it didn't take long for someone to automate that process. ThinkNum, which describes itself as a web scraping data processor, is offering a data set which is specific to Reddit. The social media platform, after demand from investment firms, literally went through the roof. Justin Sen is the co-founder of ThinkNum Alternative Data, and he joins us now. Justin, you guys worked incredibly quickly. Just explain this specific product that targets Reddit chat. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, let me explain what we do in general, right. and then I can talk about uh, what we did with Reddit. So uh, we provide what's called alternative data from the web. Uh, business activity has been coming online for a while now, uh, right? Companies are selling products online. They're hiring employees online. They use social media to market their brands online. So the side effect of this uh, big shift is a lot of data gets created that's really actionable to determining which company is doing well, uh, what is what are prices doing in real time. So we index all of this data. Uh, now, Reddit obviously recently has become a, a really powerful driver in just the you know, short-term movement of stock prices. So we work with over uh, 300 clients across investment firms, corporations, universities, and we got a lot of client demand to start tracking uh, this Reddit data set. So we uh, put it together very quickly, and yeah, uh, the demand has continued to come in. So you you look for mentions of New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq 
ticker data, the specific companies, and you compile it and you basically get this data for these companies that suddenly came to you and were like, we need to find this. As soon as there's noise around a specific stock, you track it and you flag it to these guys using this product. Yes, exactly. So we track the uh, number of mentions uh, by, by ticker on the most popular Reddit subreddits. And the, the beauty of our platform is investors can use this not just to track Reddit, but they can triangulate this with other data sets, right? So if a company is taking off on Reddit, uh, do their other data sets support that thesis, right? Are they adding stores? Are they hiring more? So it's really um, a complete product where Reddit uh, in the short term has become a, a big part of kind of a kind of the pitch. But, you know, there's a lot of other data sets that are very important oh. as well. Yeah. And I completely um, accept your point there. This could be used for many different beneficial reasons. It's just that this particular one at this moment suddenly is incredibly hot. I mean, you used to work at a hedge fund too. If I'm a short seller out there and I have this big short on, as we saw with GameStop, if I suddenly now get a flag warning from your product saying everyone's talking about it, maybe they're going to buy, um, you know, to get out of your trade or at least you have fair warning earlier than you might have done. That's true. Exactly. So uh, if you're an you know an investor and you have a, you have a short, uh, our Reddit data set can tell you these you know these are the tickers that are getting traction. If one of the tickers happens to be in your portfolio, then you need to be careful because you know it could potentially uh, become the next GameStop. So there, so investors are using our data set to uh, to identify the next potential GameStops in a way. So I have to ask you about clients. Um, is Melvin Capital, which, of course, is the hedge fund that lost billions of dollars on the GameStop trade, are they a client? Were, were they a client before you developed this product? Um, so we can't disclose of most of our clients. Um, there are some that gave us permission to disclose, um, which is on our website. But uh, obviously, most of our clients you know, are quite secretive. So I can't, I can't disclose that. <laughs> But you accept, and I obviously had to ask, and I knew exactly what your answer was going to be. This is almost a tool that probably only big institutions, corporates, hedge funds, and again, to your point, they'll use this for many reasons, not just for stock market trading, but it's probably only the big institutional, the hedge fund clients that will be able to afford this product. What does it cost in absolute for, for the provision of data and the analysis that you provide? So our um, vision as a company is, you know, not just to provide data for large hedge funds. Uh, we work with uh, many universities. We work with retail investors, right? Um, you know, we think that there's this incredible source of data, which is the web. Uh, someone should index it, right? Instead of many people uh, kind of going into their, like, into the subreddits and reading all of it and trying to jot down this data, there's one person who should do a great job at indexing it, making it useful, and then providing that to many single people. So I wouldn't say that, you know, we uh, that we're strictly a tool for large institutions to, uh, to to use. This is very important. So so an individual investor could access this. What's the cost? What's the annual cost of access to your to your products? If I want to be a client of Thinknum, how do I how do I, how much do I have to pay? Yeah, it depends um, on the on the package. Um, you know, it depends on the usage. It depends on uh, kind of the different data sets that they're buying. So, uh, you know, if you're a larger corporation, let's say you may you may buy multiple data sets, and um, you know, and then the price would be different. Uh, we have like API packages, so it kind of depends on 
the specific needs of the client, but you know we're we're very uh, we're pretty flexible to the use case, right? Um, so we work with a very large hedge fund. We work with a very small hedge fund. We work with institutional investors and uh, we work with retail investors. So you know we kind of like. Our vision is for uh, the most people possible to get to take advantage of information. So, uh, you know, to that note, like we're, we're we're relatively flexible in our pricing. Would I have to break my piggy bank if Julia Chastley wanted to just get access to this specific tool? She you says, smiling. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small piggy bank. Yes, Justin, I can tell you're being coy. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back and talk to us about the, the broader aspect of what you're doing, too, because we've honed in on one specific thing. But your, your company itself is pretty fascinating. And we will, we'll talk about it again. Justin Zen, co-founder of ThinkNum Alternative Data. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, All right. Sir. Coming up after the break, tributes to Sir Tom Moore, the veteran who raised tens of millions of dollars to help fight COVID-19. Captain Sir Tom Moore was a hero in the truest sense of the word. In the dark days of the Second World War, he fought for freedom, and in the face of this country's deepest post-war crisis, he united us all. He cheered us all up, and he embodied the triumph of the human spirit. Welcome back to the show. Chinese New Year will look very different this year. The holiday that was a mass travel, global super-spreading event last year has been scaled back. But as David Carver shows, that hasn't dampened the holiday spirit. Strolling the aisles of a Shanghai grocery store, Vicky Wong is stocking up ahead of the most important holiday in China, the Chinese New Year, or Spring Festival. I think I like this. Traditionally, the holiday marks the largest mass migration of humans each year. In China, major cities empty out as hundreds of millions travel back to their home provinces. But last year's outbreak in Wuhan coincided with the start of the Chinese New Year and made for a perfect storm. Packed train stations like this one in Beijing combined with a rapidly spreading virus. This year, the government urging, in some cases even ordering people, not to travel. Yogurts. Wang is among the millions sacrificing precious time with family this holiday, following the government guidance to stay put. We have to make a little bit of sacrifice for everyone to keep us safe. While China's touted its strict and seemingly effective containment efforts, recent cluster outbreaks have resulted in the government's travel restrictions. Already in the first three days of the annual travel rush, passenger rail trips plummeted more than 70 percent. The normally packed train stations are now eerily empty. It seems many are following the government's suggestion to not travel. And some state-owned companies are even paying their employees a few hundred dollars, encouraging them not to return to their hometown and instead to use the holiday time to explore the cities in which they live and work. Oh, the city is lighting up, so the staycation is really popular. Jane Sun is CEO of China's largest online travel agency, Trip.com. Showing us customers' real-time bookings, she points out that while flight and train tickets within China are down compared with years past, hotels are benefiting from the staycation effect. We are able to uh, ask the hotels to come up with creative packages for the families, for their children, uh, so that our customers who used to travel abroad can spend their time with their family within the same cities. But some are still determined to travel home. I think the cost is 
By video chat, we spoke with 21-year-old Dan D. Not his real name, as he doesn't want to get in trouble for criticizing the government. He just wrapped up 21 days of quarantine, which included heavy surveillance right outside his front door, all to travel home for the Chinese New Year, which he says is deeply personal for migrant workers. The Spring Festival is the only chance and the most important chance for them to go home to stay with their family. That's why I think they, they need to go home. Okay, this is good. It means travel safe and comes the good luck. As for those who choose to stay, like Wang, they're still finding ways to celebrate. Asking her parents and sister over video chat for their advice on cooking the Chinese New Year dinner, a meal she and millions of others will eat separated from loved ones, as China works to halt a decades-long tradition of mass migration so as to prevent a repeat of last year's rapid spread of the virus. David Culver, CNN, Shanghai. And finally, we were deeply saddened to hear about the passing of Captain Sir Tom Moore, the British war veteran who raised money for the fight against coronavirus by walking laps around his garden. The 100-year-old died on Tuesday from pneumonia, from pneumonia and COVID-19. In about three hours' time, people across the UK will clap for Sir Tom and all healthcare workers. His face went up in lights at London's Piccadilly Circus and his name was beamed across the capital from the top of the BT Tower. His selfless efforts brought $40 million to the National Health Service. We salute you, sir, a lifelong hero. And thank you for your service from the bottom of our hearts. All right, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chasley. Stay safe as always and connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.